Hello and welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Maluli, joined by Tom this week. This is episode 431, and today we're going to talk about 1099s, which for those who don't know are important tax documents that are either in the process of being sent out or have already been sent out. Um, So if you are working with an accountant or doing your taxes on your own, you're going to want to track down all of your different 1099s and uh, report that income on your tax returns. So right before we went into record, you know, we have a YouTube channel and subscribe, please subscribe. And, uh, every now and then we'll get comments on different videos. Two of the most popular videos that we have, Tim did one a couple of years ago about what should I do after I win the lottery? Okay. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people searching for that one. Yeah. And, uh, it's got, maybe the single most the single highest number of views of of all of our videos um the another one that we have a lot of views on is uh the i did this about a year ago or maybe is this during the meme stock yes frenzy yeah so maybe two years ago and the title is how can you owe eight hundred thousand dollars in taxes on forty five thousand dollars in profits and that was a true story and uh, someone had made, they were day trading their account over and over and over at Robinhood, and they showed a profit of $45,000. But because of all the transactions that they did, they actually wound up owing $800,000 in taxes on, on this. And we've gotten some crazy comments on this. Some I had to delete because they were just obscene. Yeah. But uh, we got one uh, overnight. And so this kind of ties in with the whole 1099 conversation. And so this person wrote, and I'm just going to read it. There is a little swear word in here, so I'm going to bleep that part out. But uh, he wrote, man, I lost $2,000 in the past three years just selling and buying. $300 here, $800 there, $50 here, nothing crazy. Ended up racking up $62,000 in proceeds. Now I owe the IRS fifteen grand. I make $30,000 a year at my job. I'm only 21. My car just broke down one month ago. I have court on March 2nd, and I owe about $3,000 in debts just all around. I'm a blanking mess. I just need to pay everyone back. Yeah, Uh, this actually happens. This is, yeah, this is, uh, this is someone who's really, um, we appreciate the comment and the sharing. Uh, this is real life. This stuff happens, mm-hmm. and they do have consequences when you're just hitting a button on your phone to buy or sell something. Yeah, it's uh, it's not knowing what you're getting yourself into beforehand, and and not knowing the rules. And it's it's fun to it can be fun to buy and sell stocks, as we've seen, yeah. you know, with the whole. GameStop, AMC, meme stock thing with the Reddit Robin trading Hood, boards, crypto, and um, all but of that. There's real life consequences, and you can really put yourself in a hole. And uh, now, you know, hope hope the best for this person, and hope they they find a way out of it. Um, yeah. Every time you hit sell, you're going to ge- in a taxable account. You're going to get. You're generating 
a line on a 1099. So let's talk about these 1099s. That well, let's, get. let's talk about, you said people get 1099s for taxable accounts. They right. do not get them for retirement accounts unless they take a distribution from the retirement account. Right. So uh, if you take a distribution from a retirement account, retirement account, IRA, something like that, you're, uh, if you take a distribution during the year in January, you're going to get a form 1099-R for retirement. And I can say with a clear conscience that you will most likely get that form in January because all of the transactions are done by December 31st and they're all ordinary income, always. So do you get the form 1099-R even if you withhold taxes from the distribution from the retirement account? Yes, you will get uh, 1099-R and that will detail the gross distribution, how much you had withheld for taxes, federal and or state taxes, uh, and then you have the net income as well. Okay, so then, so that's retirement accounts. For taxable accounts, you are getting a 1099 that reports what? Okay, so there's a lot of different 1099 forms. Most brokerage firms like Schwab and TD Ameritrade will send out a consolidated 1099. But what's actually in the consolidated form because you get this thing at the end of the year you may not have even made a move in your account and you get this 8 10 12 page report like well what do i need this for this is seems like overkill but they're combining the 1099 int which is for interest right that's received you get a 1099 div for dividends and you also included in that 1099 div are capital gain distributions on any kind of mutual funds that you might hold. You get a 1099B, which shows your transactions. So I you know, bought Apple uh, five years ago and I sold it in 2022. It's going to show the, uh, what you bought it for, the date you bought it, and the date you sold it and the capital gain long-term or short-term, or the gain or loss uh, as well. So instead of sending out all these different forms, the brokerage firms will consolidate all of these in the 1099 consolidated, and, and they will mail that to you. Can we talk about that? Please. So it's the third week in February. I have not gotten my consolidated 1099. Most people have not gotten their consolidated 1099. You will get it because it will be mailed to you. If you're getting ANSI, you can log into your custodian, whether that's TD, Fidelity, Schwab, wherever you are logging in to, to access your account. You can log in there and check as, uh, as well if you has a, have a username and password. So they usually, they sometimes post them sooner um, and yeah, you can, you can definitely check there as well. Uh, but it's a lot of record keeping and these custodians have to keep track of all of the transactions. So it, it takes time to put these together. The other 
The other part of that that you you should be aware of is occasionally a mutual fund, a, a, a company that pays out a dividend, a uh, an ETF, occasionally they will recharacterize some of the distributions that were made in this year, in the previous year. That happens a lot with like real estate investments and any kind of uh, commodity type of uh, fund. And so sometimes you will think your taxes are done and then April 2nd in the mail, you get a corrected 1099, which is really bad. Uh, Especially, it's really bad if you've completed your taxes. Uh, that's a that's a problem. So don't be in too much of a hurry to get your taxes done because there could be corrections coming. And, and I'll be the first to defend the brokerage firms in this case, not the fault of the brokerage firm because sometimes the transfer agent or the company will say, uh, we made a mistake or there was a change. This was part of this distribution to you was a return of capital uh, or some kind of change going on. One thing, as long as we're talking about this, is a few times over the years, we've had discussions with clients who have said, the 1099 is wrong and it needs to be corrected. I don't believe I have ever seen a brokerage firm go back and make a correction based on a client request. You know, so like the the price that they bought it at or like that is wrong, like the cost basis information or... Yes. Okay. So that uh, or... I, sh- it, I have a gain where I shouldn't have a gain or this gain's too big and right. correct. Where we do run into problems is for the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, if you transferred between one brokerage firm to another, the... The understanding agreement is they're going to, when they transfer the security to the new brokerage firm, say you were at Merrill Lynch and now you're working with an advisor who uses Schwab or TD Ameritrade. The firms are now required to send the cost basis information along with your positions to the new firm. They don't show up on day one. Usually within 30 days, you can check and see, oh yeah, I bought this several years ago at Merrill Lynch and here's the date of purchase and here's the price and everything lines up. Where you're going to run into problems is uh, firms that don't play nice, that don't participate in that. And uh, most of the major, the larger brokerage firms already do this. You may find, um, you know, you bought something at a mutual fund company. So you bought something at, I don't know. I'm not picking on you, T. Rowe Price, but let's just say that's where you bought something that may or may not come along. Or you bought something with a small regional <clears throat> broker, you know, or an advisor at know, Raymond James. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not picking on you, but we don't know if the cost basis information is going to come over. I feel like this happens most times with very long-term holdings. Yeah. So positions that people have owned for 30, 40 years plus. While we're on that topic, I think it's important for people to know, uh, because I think there's some misunderstanding with this, but uh, say someone in your family passed away and you inherited stock. And 
they say, well, we got this stock from grandpa or from my parents and they bought it, uh, you know, back in the 1970s. I don't know what the cost basis is, but he died last year and now I want to sell it. I'm going to owe a, a ton in taxes. Not so fast. Right. So you're going to get a step up in cost basis and a step up in cost basis happens on the date of death the day that grandpa died, the custodian... It's a sad day. Sad day. The day he died, they will record the price the, the price of the stock or fund on that day, and then that will be your inherited basis moving forward. I should but, say a good advisor will put together that cost basis information. Right. Don't, hopefully it's not left to you. Yeah, and that's good because you won't have as big of a, a tax bill you know, you won't have that that thirty plus years of price appreciation to to pay to pay capital gains tax on. So um, that is a, a silver lining of, of a sad occasion, but yeah. it's important to know for for people that inherit stock. Yeah, we we've had uh, a couple of situations just in the last twelve months where uh, I, I kind of got a little bit of pushback from uh, family members for a uh, a very senior client of ours who passed away and they said, do you really think it's a good idea that our parent had all of this money in this stock, in this single stock? That's a lot of risk for someone who's in their late 80s. And I had to basically kind of lay it out for him and say, yeah, you're right. Uh, and I think a lot of advisors would have just sold the stock to help diversify away the risk of owning like 80% of your net worth in one stock. It happened to be a really good company. So I was okay with it. Uh, but then I also explained to them, look, you're going to inherit this stock. And now your cost basis is where the stock is today. Not where it was when your mother worked at this company in 1973. Yeah, there's a lot of different factors that have to be taken into account. And um, the moral of all those stories is to keep good records. So what else can people learn from looking at their 1099s? I know we touched on it before where there's the difference between taxable accounts and retirement accounts. Yeah. And I know we did a video um, that is going to be out this week as well, where you talked about Someone got a capital gains distribution from a mutual fund because they own it in a taxable account. Um, so one of the thing, I'm going to answer my own question here, but one of the things that people can, people should pay attention to on their 1099s is where their types of assets are held. Yeah. It's called asset location. Yeah. So basically the idea is you want to hold tax inefficient products like mutual funds in retirement accounts because you're not you're not paying tax on that each year you're going to pay ordinary income tax on it when you take the distribution out when you're retired and you want to own tax efficient things i think you should own tax efficient things across the board if you can but um, retirement accounts you know 401ks sometimes have limited plan options there's usually they're usually only mutual funds in there um, but in taxable accounts, you want to limit your taxes and hold things that are going to be more tax efficient. So maybe 
ETFs or uh, other things of that nature. Yeah, let's talk about that. So uh, uh, I'll share a story with you. Um, my, my dad used to brag about how he put $10,000 into this T. Rowe Price fund in 1969. and Summer of 69? <laughs> uh, it was an oil and gas uh, mutual fund. It was brand new. At the time, he put $10,000 into it in 1969, and uh, he passed away in 1993, so 30 years ago. But he owned it then for a very long time, and when he passed away, it was worth $104,000. Not bad. Uh, however, he owned it in a taxable account, so I had to pretty much dig through all of the capital gain and income distributions that he had received over the years and pay taxes on. So when you pay tax on the when you receive income or a capital gain distribution with a mutual fund, that capital gain gets added to your cost basis. So every year he would get a capital gain distribution and it would add to his cost. So it turns out that on paper it looked like he invested ten thousand dollars and it was worth a hundred and four and he sold it right before he passed away he had other assets as well that got stepped up but this one we needed some money for medical expenses uh-huh. uh, so we sold this one so it looks like on paper it started with ten thousand it was worth a hundred and four he had a ninety four thousand dollar capital gain in reality his cost basis because of all the capital gains through the years that he had paid taxes on, his cost basis was about 90 grand. So he actually had a $14,000 capital gain. But how many people don't even pay attention to this stuff? And they just say, well, I don't know, you know, I bought it at 10 and it's worth 104, so I guess I owe taxes on 94 grand. Yeah. I mean, just really careless. So more to your point, I think you really need to consider, you know, when markets get sloppy or start to go down, people start talking about, I want to own blue chips or I want to own dividend stocks. Well, if you own dividend stocks in a taxable brokerage account and you're in, say, the 24 or 30% tax bracket, you are literally like giving away a quarter to maybe a third of that dividend income in taxes. And you may be dividend reinvesting, which is great, mm-hmm. uh, but then you're paying taxes unnecessarily on this money because then that gets added to your cost. If you dividend reinvest, it gets added, added back in. Your, mm-hmm. your, the return gets larger over time. It's a mess. If you really want to own dividend stocks, you really ought to think about owning it in a retirement account, in an IRA. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really all about you have to consider what's called your after-tax return with these taxable accounts. It's not just about your the top-line number. You have to factor in paying taxes on it. Sure. Um, And that's why we do uh, taxable equivalent yield when we're looking at now we have uh, fixed income investments that actually have a yield. Yeah. I mean, for, for so long, it's just been a net zero uh, type of thing for um, for bonds. Whether they're taxable or tax-free, the yield has been so close to zero. But now we actually have some yield to this. 
And so we're back to doing things that we did in the 80s and 90s where we're calculating the taxable equivalent yield. So we have to take your uh, income that you would get from a taxable investment like a CD or something and or dividend stocks, whatever, and uh, then calculate what you would keep after taxes and then compare that to what's out there in tax-free mm-hmm. uh, incomes and, you know, for how long are we locking the money up for and what kind of return can we expect? And so... So tax-free would be something like a... a municipal m- bond. Muni bonds, yeah. Right. So, yeah, this is uh, bringing me back to the, the CFP coursework. <laughs> but it's, it's important because, you know, you're... It's uh, it's kind of apples to oranges when you're comparing two different things. So you want to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples, um, and you're only going to end up with the after-tax return in your pocket. So that's what really matters. That is what really matters, and it's uh, a little disappointing to sit down with folks and see what some of our peers are doing. In the industry, because we'll sit down with clients and we'll see their statements from other other firms, and you know we'll ask them, hey, you know, did you actually calculate what the taxable equivalent yield would be? Is it, does it really make sense for you to own tax-free bonds when you're in the ten percent tax bracket? Yeah. Probably not. But yeah, I don't like paying taxes. Well, yeah. none of us do, but you're actually financially better off. In maybe in something else. Yeah. So these are all things that we need to look at. You get a good clue from your tax return and your 1099s. Yep, so be sure to review your 1099s if you got them already. Uh, if you haven't, hang in there. I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll come eventually and don't throw it out with uh, all of the other solic- solicitations that come in your mailbox. Be sure to hold on to this one. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast episode. Tom, thanks for joining me as always, and we'll be back with you next week. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.